Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. We just ask that you would move this morning, Father. We ask for your help. We ask, well, we know, we know that when your word is, is opened, that it doesn't return void. We know that when you are made much of, that you meet us here in a special and unique way. And no matter what the distractions might be, no matter what might be going on, just pray that you would take center stage for us moving forward. We love you. We just ask that you would continue to work in this place. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... First off, happy merry belated Christmas, and um, just pray that and hope that your Christmas was as awesome as mine. If anything, Christmas is just a yearly reminder of how awesome church community is for me, uh, being away from my family, living here in Missouri, and my family being in Florida. Um, But anyways, it's good to be with you this morning, and this is our last Sunday of 2019, right? And so uh, hopefully that... That's a, that gives a reaction, right, from you that of excitement, right, expectation for 2020 and not a sigh of relief that you barely made it to 2019, right? 2019's uh, been a ride, and for me, it'll mark, uh, next month, it'll mark a year since I've come on staff here at Redemption Hill. <laughs> so my 2019 and Redemption Hill's 2019 have been attached at the hip. I guess you could say that we are besties. We're, we're besties here. I've, I've been stretched and at times kind of uncomfortable. But I think, I think that's normal, right? It's normal with any major life change or any kind of transition, whether it's career or uh, moving from state to state. But I felt the same when I moved here from Florida. I felt, I felt out of place, a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but let me say this, though. As the year has played out, as things have gone on, it's actually been super encouraging. Right? It's been super encouraging and just super exciting for me at the same time. So with the new year, uh, we can, one can feel the pressure to uh, take inventory. Right? I guess we could say take inventory of the last year with the idea of maybe making new plans, resolutions for the new year. Right? You can... You can scroll your Facebook or Instagram feeds and see the new kind of motivational posts that people are posting up. People are talking about cutting out toxic relationships, cutting out all the negativity. And if you have a friend that's a nutritionist or even a trainer, his feed would probably be full of motivational posts, uh, quotes and offers to help you accomplish your health goals. It's also a prime time for gym memberships, right? Gyms make the most money they'll ever make in the beginning of the year. And a lot of, honestly, a lot of these posts are well-intentioned. You want to read a book a month or want to eat healthier, be more consistent in your gym routines. Maybe you want to read through the Bible in a year. All good things, actually great things. Get healthy, read your Bible. All of those things are great. 
But statistically, let me be kind of a party pooper here. Statistically, more than half the people that make resolutions fail at keeping them within the first month. Right? So it's, you even see some differences between the genders. Women tend to make more health-focused resolutions, while men tend to make more career-focused resolutions. But all in all, all of our, a lot of our resolutions you'll find are tied into our identity. Wherever we, f- wherever we find our worth and value. This is where they got the popular mantra. You probably know what I'm going to say. New year, new me. Right? That's where it comes into play. We don't, we don't seem to be content with where we're at. So we have to invent ourselves. The process is probably taking too long. So we have to do something a little different. We've got to change it up. I'm going to say something that might seem a little outlandish to you. But I think we as the church shouldn't change. Right? You might be thinking, well, Dennis, that's part of the problem with the church. You haven't changed. You've stayed outdated. You've stayed prehistoric. Well, let me explain. There, there are things that do change for sure. Times change, right? Methods change. Settings will change. But the message doesn't change. In an ever-changing society, the church's message hasn't changed. So it's new year, same gospel. New year, same mission. But there's been some folks over time that, that have tried to change the message. Or even the mission. But it doesn't usually work out too well for them. The truth is that while, while methods and context, the settings that we're in, can definitely change, gospel remains the same. The truth is that the unchanging message of the gospel is exactly what we need for the new year. So I want to help you reframe that in a way that brings redemptive value, right? It's the perfect time to do this sort of thing because, I mean, we've all been wired some kind of way, whether whatever we're consuming right now, there's a lot of, there's going to be just ads and posts of people just changing so much in their lives, especially with 2020 coming in. What I think we'll see today is that I don't think you need a resolution. What you need is a reminder. Let me start off with this simple question, kind of how we start most of our sermons. Question for you to kind of ponder as we go through today's text. What does faithfulness look like for you in 2020? And not just 2020, beyond. What does faithfulness look like for you in 2020 and beyond? So let me do a quick refresher, right? We did recalibrate and renew where we spoke about revival. And we just went through this the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, just week after week, being pressed into unity in the body and how God has gifted each one of us with so many ways to serve and love each other. 
and those on the outside well, right? So we, I've had conversation after conversation of people discovering their gifts to then be met with an eager expectation for God to use that said gift. Now, dumb it down a little bit. The, the point is that many of us have realized that we have something to give. And Jesus has fully equipped you to invest into that mission. His mission. To me, it looks like just a bunch of light bulbs going off in the sanctuary. So this morning, uh, TJ kind of tasked me with the idea of just not so much how we do something new, right? Because that's, that's one of the things that you kind of get pressed into. But how do we stay consistent? How do we move now knowing that God is changing hearts, but at the same time he's making us realize that we're gifted, able to serve ways, to love each other, to love the body, but also to love the city, and now maintain faithfulness into that going into 2020. So what I think, there's not a lot that's fresh and new in the Bible, right? It's old book. So that's why we find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And this is Jesus. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, if you've read the whole chapter of Matthew 9, it looks like a Jesus kind of highlight compilation that you can watch on YouTube. Right? Jesus, what you see is this Jesus on mission in Matthew. Jesus heals a paralytic. He heals a paralyzed man. He, he calls on Matthew. This is where he meets Matthew. He calls on him to follow him. Right? He eats with tax collectors, sinners, and he even gets ridiculed by other people for doing that. He preaches. He heals. raises a little girl from the dead. Jesus is just getting after it. And there's two reactions you see. You see that people are either running toward him or they're plotting against him. Right? So either way, Jesus is on mission. What he's doing here is that he is exhorting. He is encouraging the people that are following him, his disciples, to do the same. Jesus looked on the crowd of people around him. His, his reaction was remarkable. It says that he had compassion on them. Why? It answers that too. It says that they were harassed and helpless. Jesus was stirred by the people around him, his settings. Because the people who were supposed to be taking care of these people, who were supposed to be looking after, Dropped the ball completely. 
They had neglected these people. He calls them sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. Pharisees that were supposed to minister, supposed to care for these people, they did nothing. So, as a result, these people were left nothing. They were desperate. These people were harassed and helpless. The wording used here literally means torn, thrown to the ground. Now, I don't know about you, things that I usually tear up and throw out aren't things that I usually value. Right? So when you survey the field that you're in, when you look around at the people that you spend a lot of time with, are you aware of their spiritual condition? Are you aware of their condition, their state? And does it move you? you just go about your business in peace? Are you stirred for the folks around you? Jesus was moved by love, by compassion for people that were harassed, helpless, torn, thrown to the ground. I think it, it helps us to continue to hammer at these things, harassed, torn, and thrown to the ground. Because they, they might make you think that this is their physical state, right? That they are helpless, that they're, they're, they're impoverished. That's, that might be true as well, but this should also give you a clue into what their spiritual state is like as well. They had no shepherd. They had no one loving them and, and exhorting them and encouraging them and teaching them up and bringing them up in the gospel. They had no one to care for them. And often we only talk about compassion in relation to people who are impoverished. Right? We only talk about the poor or the least of these. And those people do need to be cared about. Those are people that we need to love and care for. That applies. But th- our general disposition should be that everyone is harassed and helpless. They're torn, thrown to the ground, that they need a hope, they need a love, they need to be shown compassion. Not just they had nothing for everyone. And for me, when I was reading over this text, I said, man, Jesus can come off a bit overconfident. Sounds a little bit overconfident. Because the questions that would pop up in my mind, if I didn't know Jesus, I'd say, why would I need you? Why would I need Jesus? Why would they need Jesus? Why can't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Isn't that how we think about people sometimes? Why can't you just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps? Why can't this person just get their stuff together? We actually get aggravated, we get annoyed, we get bothered by people who don't have their stuff together. These are the people that are harassed and helpless. So why can't this person get their stuff together? I thought, man, I don't know, man. The same reason I couldn't get my stuff together. The same reason you couldn't get your stuff together. Truth is that we are either currently or were at one point helpless, right? Completely helpless, torn, thrown away, devalued. So they need a shepherd. Like you need a shepherd. And here, it's awesome. Here comes Jesus. 
greater shepherd. Greater shepherd that ever lived, that walked this earth, Jesus comes into the picture. And one thing that made me realize is helplessness can actually lead to hopefulness. That whatever your situation is, whether you are harassed or helpless, torn and thrown out, the perfect segue into Jesus is coming in and giving you hope, placing the helplessness away. Do you see the flock imagery, sheep, shepherd? Right? Jesus surveys the land. He looks out on the people around him. He looks out on the land. He's actually looking. And he comes to the conclusion, land that he was placed in is torn, thrown to the ground, helpless, was neglected. It was barren. It, was not, it wasn't yielding fruit. It was, wasn't being tended to. As a matter of fact, the people... The people that were supposed to work this land, because there were people that were supposed to work this land, completely neglected it. So the land, what happened? Because of neglect, became sick. They needed healing, right, both physically. He says that he he healed diseases and afflictions, but it also needed healing spiritually. Some questions. Have you... Have you surveyed the land you're in? Do you, see, do you see sheep without a shepherd? Do you see brokenness needs healing? Right? Now, one of the, our tendencies might be to see material need, right? And that's good. We want to see material need as well, and we want to try to help with those type of things. That's great. We should be moved to help with needs we can meet. But often it stops there. It stops with just providing a meal, right, or giving some financial assistance. Let me be clear. I'm not criticizing. Jesus met physical needs and he met spiritual needs as well. This text says that. But why does it stop there? Because we see that Jesus fixes both, right? He fixes their physical ailments and their physical needs, and he also meets them spiritually. Jesus proclaims the gospel, and he heals people of their diseases. So let's, let's be informed by Jesus as we seek now to work the field that we've been placed in. And as Jesus went out about carrying out his usual ministry, duties, preaching, teaching, healing, just generally doing awesome stuff. There's something that Matthew records that we often miss out on. It's small, and if we're not careful, we miss this. Matthew says, the first part, verse 36, he says, and he saw the crowd. Something as small as seeing the crowds. Jesus looked on the crowd. Jesus surveyed the land that he was in. Have you ever been moved by something you saw? Maybe you were moved the first time you saw your spouse. Maybe not. Maybe it took time to get moved. That's all right. It's okay. 
Or maybe you're moved when you see a beautiful meal, right? So you see this awesome meal, you're at Bardell, and you get this awesome whatever age steak, and you got to take a picture. you got to put it on Instagram. So put it on your story and just make all your friends jealous. To be honest, I saw a lot of prime rib at Christmas, and I was moved. Or maybe you saw this meme, right? You saw this awesome meme that made you laugh, made you crack up. So you sent it to all your friends because you want them feeling you, feeling that, laughing alongside you, right? So we all see things that spur us into action. You might see a person that's homeless. You might feel stirred to give them whatever spare change or dollars in your pocket. But I think this is a little different. What did Jesus see when he surveyed the land? He saw sheep without a shepherd. People were wandering around aimlessly without no direction. Just going after whatever they could. They were desperate. These people were desperately seeking for help, hope. But what's that mean? It means that he saw gospel. When Jesus says sheep without a shepherd, he's saying people without him. saw people in need of hope, love. God, give us the eyes of Christ to see. Right? While the people you're around might not seem helpless and may seem to be doing well, they could very well just be sheep. It can look like you have it. Right? If anything, social media is a perfect evidence for that. That's easy to pull off. It can give you whatever vision itself. The ones that only post pictures online when everything is going great. Right? Or go silent. Just go radio silent times get way worse. We were all once sheep without a shepherd. You know this person this person. So have you surveyed the land? Have you looked? Have you just picked your head up? Look around it. Look around you. I'm sorry. To see who's helpless. Where you can bring hope and help. Now, I'm not one to usually bring up statistics. Right? We got this joke, my MC, about Enneagrams. We always remind ourselves it's not peer reviewed. It's not scientific, but it's helpful, I'll say that. But I find this to be helpful, to give us some level kind of understanding, maybe even some urgency, right? It's okay to get a little urgent about this. If anything, we could probably use a little bit of that. Right? Just an urgency as to why we should open our eyes to this need. So Pew Research did a poll among American adults to see how many people identify as Christian. So they got 65% of the people surveyed identified themselves as Christian. Another part of this poll they labeled as the nuns, not Catholic nuns, but as in N-O-N-E-S, those who are not religiously affiliated. They identify as nothing in particular. They, they saw that from 2009 to 2019, the percentage has gone from 17 to 26%. Right? Pew labeled this as a rapid decline. Christianity in America, 
For some people, this might actually come as a shock. But I think uh, the truth is that this isn't an accidental We shouldn't be clutching our pearls about the decline of Christianity in America. What we should be clutching our pearls at is our own neglect to work the land that we've been placed in. David Platt said it best. He says, why do you think Jesus looks, would look at the crowds around him with all their deep needs and then turn to his disciples and tell them to pray, to them, pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. Jesus looked at the harassed and helpless multitude. Apparently, his concern was not, the lo- not that the lost did not come to, to the Father. Instead, his concern was that his followers would not go to the lost. After that line, you may feel a little bit of guilt and shame. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Have we stopped long enough to take in our setting? See how God can use us in that setting. Have we scattered seeds? Have we tilled the land? Dug up the rocky parts of the soil to let good soil come up? Have we prayed? Why should you even serve me? A lot of times we don't want to invest our time and efforts into something because we want to be sure. We aren't sure this investment, time, effort, finances, is going to pay off. We don't want to put ourselves out there. We're afraid of getting hurt or being exhausted for nothing. Well, can I tell you this? Jesus gives us a guarantee. You invest in mission. You find yourself day to day. This isn't prosperity gospel. Using money to get. Not saying you'll get any additional money in your bank account. Sorry. And look at this. Jesus tells us this in verse 37. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest will be harvest is plentiful. If you would just pick up your head and see, good seed, land is ripe. Not only that, the harvest will yield itself. Gospel seeds will. This moves you from seeing people who are helpless to seeing people who can be hopeful. You might be thinking, man, I've got so many faults. I have so many things that are working against me for me to be able to do this. Maybe you lack the confidence to actually share the gospel or tell somebody about Jesus. Let me remind you something. You have the gospel. Jesus reminds his disciples of that truth in the first chapter of Acts. He doesn't remind them. He tells them. He says, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the end. Family, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't get scared. Notice how Jesus didn't tell them to be witnesses in Jerusalem. But there's also a worldwide implication. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is plentiful. This is a guarantee. You are fearful. Jesus gives you 
So if we know the harvest will yield results, what's the issue? Jesus tells us that too. He says we need workers. We need laborers. He says that in the second part of verse 37. The laborers are few. How awesome is it to think that Jesus is actually seeking for laborers? He can't do without the laborers. He still asks us to do that. That's an honor. That's a privilege. But Jesus is looking for people to respond the way that Isaiah did, where he says, here I am, send me. In light of our need for more laborers, Jesus directs us in how we should respond to this need. He says, therefore, pray earnestly. To the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into his harvest. A little bit to unpack there. So we, we need more laborers, and my immediate thought is to just jump right in, right? Just jump right in, get to work, start getting after it. That's not a bad response. But just, just hold on a second. Pray, right? It says, pray earnestly. What type of prayer is it? What does it mean to pray earnestly? Well, one, I think it, you'll be able to tell how important mission is to you by how you pray for it. Right? We usually pray earnestly when, when something has gone terribly wrong, life seems to be getting after us, whether that pertains to health scares, maybe we're in mourning, grieving, trials that seem to go so long and we don't feel like we're going to get through this. We should pray for those things, too. Praying earnestly, see something as seriously important, has implications for our lives long term, and it can greatly alter the trajectory of other lives, our lives. So, for instance, one one example of praying earnestly, what I, I would say when my little sister got really sick, lost her life, was she almost lost her life. I prayed like my life. So this is earnest prayer. It was, it was serious and intentional, purpose, effort. Earnest prayer displays depth and sincere feeling. Demands a lot of your attention. This is how Jesus wants us to pray over the harvest. Pray for the harvest in such a way that it will greatly alter the trajectory of this church and everyone involved in it. Prayer will often precede a great harvest. So how should you pray for the harvest? There are a lot of ways you could pray for the harvest. But here are just a few kind of applicable ways, just easy ways to start, get the ball rolling. First, pray that God would help you see and be moved for the harvest. Whether that's at work, gym, neighborhood, wherever you find yourself spending the bulk of your time, Jesus' loving compassion expresses itself in action. Two, pray, Jesus commands us to, pray that God would send more workers into the harvest. Pray for more laborers. We need more co-laborers here. And then after that, realize that you are one of his laborers. You are one of his workers. You are in the field. And three, pray that we would take after Jesus' example, proclaim, pray, and proclaim the good news to other people. 
give us courage. Now, there's a lot of ways for you to get started, but I've learned that these specifically, these three, have been great for me. To be clear about something, while we should direct our prayers toward the harvest, the harvest is is his harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. This is just a guarantee on the topic of harvest verse 2. We know the harvest is plentiful. We can also know that the harvest belongs to Jesus. And because the harvest belongs to Jesus, we can move forward with expectation. Healed we are in harvest. Now, there's no question in my mind that God is up to something here at IA. God is always at work in us and through us. And while we can acknowledge that God is at work, it also seems that the enemy is still about the business of killing the harvest. He would love to get you distracted. One of the main obstacles I've seen, especially as of late, spiritual apathy. I've seen an apathy. I think most of us can get on board having compassion for people. Yeah, I'm compassionate. I want to love people. Usually when he manifests itself good care about people. I don't I think we're apathetic towards their losses. One way that we can know that is if we just took an prayer list. I'm hoping you want to change that. And I want to help you change that. One truth for me, even in my own apathy that I've is that you don't have to overcome apathy alone. That's something that we can do together. Paul did this with Timothy. One of his letters to Timothy. He reminds him of the gospel. Let me remind you of the gospel. That's what he says. The gospel that saved you. The gospel that will reap fruit in the harvest. Paul tells Timothy, remember. Remember. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preach in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of Christ, that they may also attain the salvation of Christ Jesus with me. Paul is moved by the same gospel that saved him. Timothy, in his discouragement, in his apathy, Paul tells him, remember. Remember the gospel, the one that you were saved by, the one that was saving other people. times we need encouragement. Get it. Go through seasons of apathy. Discouraged. Can I tell you to remember? Remember the gospel that saved you. And lastly, there's a future expectation. We see a final harvest. This beautiful picture we see painted. It says, then I looked, and behold, the white cloud. And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head. 
and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle, for the hour of reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth. Earth was ripe. But as we move into this expectation of a plentiful harvest, we can take comfort in knowing that we are ultimately imitating in a small way, maybe even a tainted way. And he comes to take his people. That our work here is just a mere reflection of the perfect work Christ will do in the church. So whether your expectations at this moment are high or low, whatever, this is one expectation for you to take away. Christ will accomplish his mission. And we get a chance to partake cooperate. And you can come back up. So this morning, you we have a chance to respond. Worship and through the community. So this is one thing I want to just exhort you. Say that Jesus exhorts his disciples. Pray. Pray that God help you see people around you back. That you would be moved for them. Pray that God would send his workers, including yourself. With that, I want to remind you of instructions that Paul gives us in Timothy. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my just for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May we never forget that. Let's pray. Father, send workers. Send people that want to work in the field, want to reap a harvest. Lord, now give us courage. Give us courage to not only love our friends well, care for them also tell them what you're doing. It's also pray for anybody that might feel fearful and have obstacles. Obstacles are coming. Pray that you would give them boldness and courage. Give them comfort and esteem. Those who life is just so overwhelming at this moment. 
depression sitting there. But could you give them a renewed hope and expectation that even in the midst of hard times and trials, you can raise them up, let them be a witness because of you, that people can see that's what Jesus does? Father, we ask the Holy Spirit Worship you, come respond. We realign our hearts to you. You sent your son to die. Father, do it for your glory. You don't do it for your glory. So we ask for you, ask you, glorify you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.